Hi, this is Ricardo, pastor of Journey Church Ventura. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our podcast. Hope you're having a great week. We hope it's life-giving and life-changing. Take care. <laughs> That's may, maybe how you're feeling if you're a Lakers fan right now. <clears throat> we'll talk about that video in just a second, but... Um, Anger is one of those things that takes away from life, isn't it? I mean, you just get, you feel that feeling inside. And there's people that express it out loud, and there's people that don't express it at all. And it just kind of boils inside. And those relationships that you have pent-up feelings about, isn't it interesting how all of a sudden, once he felt kind of snubbed by his buddy, all these other feelings came out? And you, you, you have this stuff inside of you. I don't know about you, but maybe you have some of those things that, that are speeches that you're telling yourself. Our, our, our basis for this series is the passage in John chapter 10, verse 10, that says, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what the anger will do to us. I have come, Jesus says, that they may have life and have it to the full. And that word, it doesn't even describe really what was intended by that word, which is the crazy amount, way above expectations, way beyond what we could imagine. That's the life that God wants for us. And if we want to shift into high gear in life, we must understand that we have to shift out of that anger feeling, those things that are inside that just eat us up, that are eating at us, that are bugging us, that are causing us grief and making us even like this guy that goes off on his friend on the phone and says everything that he's thinking in his head and all the speeches that he's rehearsed over. Have you guys ever done that? Have you ever, have you ever had those speeches in your head? And whether it be your spouse or whether it be your boss or you get mad and then you, you, you just come up with these great speeches. Now, the next time I see him, I'm going to say this. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to let him know exactly what I'm thinking. And I didn't like that. And I'm going to say it. And I have this reason. And I'm going to say it. And I have this consequence. And I'm going to tell him. And then you get there and you're like, nope, not going to happen. We <laughs> just let it sit inside. We have those, those things. We don't speak them, but we feel them. You perfect them even. You kind of get to that point where you're, you've, you've, you're, you're rehearsing the exact words that you would say. And at least you have it in your head so that you could feel good like you know what you're thinking and you're feeling. Maybe even you take it to the extent that it makes you so angry that you get this like, idea that if I could just speak this to them, they'd drop to their knees in sorrow and, and, and repent and say, I'm so sorry. Or maybe even... As far as, and I know this is extreme, you have murderous thoughts. I wish they would die. Okay, I, I know that's extreme, but it's Bible, and we'll talk about it in just a minute. Murderous thoughts. I've had murderous thoughts. As soon as my daughter started dating, <clears throat> those thoughts were somewhat real. <laughs> Okay, I, I, I had rehearsed speeches for these boys, and uh, some of them I, I even gave, <laughs> and uh, others I didn't. But um, 
when my daughter started dating, boy, those guys, uh, I, you know, I, yeah, they, they should have, ne- never mind. Um, low gear living with anger and bitterness in your heart, that's what low gear living is. If we want to live in first or second gear and we want to stay slow and, and safe, we, we, we keep the anger in. And we, we let it boil and we let it get to this point where it has all kinds of speeches and all kinds of emotions. And if pushed to the edge like that video, it would immediately come out. All right, I'll tell you exactly what I'm feeling. All right, finally, I'm get, I've, I've come to that point, the last straw. And I'm going to tell you exactly what I'm thinking. High gear living is <clears throat> with love, with peace. And forgiveness. That's what high gear living is. That's what is intended. That's the, and live it to the full. There's only one life that can be full, and that's a life of peace and joy and forgiveness and happiness and connection and good relationship, not broken relationship. And when a relationship is broken, that's when everything kind of comes apart. That's when you start dodging your friends or your used-to-be friends in the grocery store. I think I've talked about this before where you're pushing the cart along and da-da-da. Oh, not going down that row right now. There's an enemy in the bread aisle. I'm going to go down the canned food aisle. That aisle has nobody in it. At least nobody that's in my enemy. And so then, and then you kind of know that your enemy's in the store. So now you're walking down the aisle going, oh, okay, this one's safe. Oh, nope, nope, nope. Whoop, hurry, hurry. And you're, you're in a hurry. Sorry, cameraman, I just messed you up. So what do we do with this? What do we do with these emotions? What do we do with these feelings? Because if we're going to live in high gear, if we're going to live in peace and joy and forgiveness and love, then we have to, what the Bible calls, reconcile the relationship. And I, I know for many of you right now, you're probably thinking, I really don't want to. I don't want to reconcile. This person doesn't deserve reconciliation. This person, I, I'm too good for that person. I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm better than that. I'm, I'm better than this person coming into my life. I'm better than making it right. I'm better, I'm better for it if I don't connect with this person. And I get that. I get those feelings. I've had those emotions. I know what it feels like to harbor hurt and harbor anger and not want to make it right because if I make it right, then I have to go have a relationship with this person. I know that feeling, but we can't ignore what it does to us. We can't ignore what it does in, in, the, con- in, in the context of our faith, in the context of who we are as a body of Christ. When there's brokenness, it's not like Jesus. And so we have to have this, this reconciliation. In 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 19, it says this. So from now on, we regard no, no one from a worldly point of view. In other words, we're not going to look at people like most people look at people. Though we, want, <clears throat> though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. In other words, we are different now. We don't handle life like we used to. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. 
And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Wow, there's a lot of reconciliation there. Let's start back at verse 18. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So the first thing we have to realize is reconciliation is this God effort, not our effort. We didn't try and reconcile our relationship with God. Maybe you've been brought up in a religious context where you were taught that if you do all the right things and you do good enough, that you could make it right with God. And you may, hopefully you've learned that that effort is futility. We can't do enough good to get rid of our sin. We need Jesus to do that. And fortunately, God said, I want to reconcile them to me, so I'm going to send my son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross so that their sins could be forgiven, their offenses towards me could be forgiven. I'm going to pay for their offenses, and now we can have right relationship. That's powerful. That's what reconciliation is. And so then he says that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. That's a key part of reconciliation. If, we, if, if you have in your head, okay, somebody's offended you, that person owes me. They need to pay. They need to get on their knees and they need to grovel on the ground. They need to feel the pain that I've felt. They need to experience all that I've gone through. They need to know how much pain is, they've caused me. They need, to, they need to go through it. That's, that's counting sins against them. Reconciliation is not counting people's sins against them. Ouch, right? It's really quiet in this room. Not just because the air conditioner went off, but because I understand. I understand this is hard. This is hard. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So we are messengers of reconciliation. Reconciliation of God to man. And we are examples of reconciliation horizontally to each other. It's powerful. One author says it this way. He says, restoration of friendly reconciliation is restoration of friendly relationships and of peace where before there has been hostility and alienation. Ordinarily, it also includes the removal of the offense which caused the disruption of peace and harmony. So restoration is bringing back the relationship that once was or once was intended to be. And so you had a relationship with someone they hurt you, they, they bothered you, they broke you. And now the goal is to get it back to a friendly part, a peaceful part, a loving part, a forgiving part, rather than this angst, this anger, this frustration, this, oh, I'm not going to go down that aisle. And kind of in your mind doing speeches and talks. And if I ever see them again, if we ever have to have a talk, this is what I'm going to say. All these things go on in our heads and in our hearts. And it messes us up more than them. It messes us up more than them. It puts us in the average world, not in the high gear world, not in the unusual world, in the exceptional world, above average world. The reason for reconciliation is broken relationship. So if you have a broken relationship, reconciliation is probably in your future, hopefully and prayerfully. 
And what we have to understand from this example is that God is the initiator of reconciliation with us. Therefore, we need to be the initiator of reconciliation with others. And I, I will first, I'll be the first to tell you that we need wisdom in doing that. Especially if it was abusive, if it was, you know, kind of way off the charts, crazy um, pain. That takes a whole nother uh, process and a whole nother uh, uh, effort to try and reconcile that relationship. And we un- have to understand, too, that God pays the price for our reconciliation with him. And so he sent Jesus to die on a cross. That means that probably, in our cases, reconciliation is going to cost us something. And you're like, it's already cost me. It's already cost me emotional pain. It's already cost me. Now we need to pay the redemptive cost that brings peace and joy to the relationship. And then we are drawn into a relationship instead of pulling it apart, that alienation part, which is powerful. It's powerful. There's nothing better than a healed relationship. There's nothing better than bringing something back together that was hurt, that was damaged. I think I've said this story a long time ago. There was a a time in a a church that I was pastor at, my youth pastor, did some really ugly things. And on the way out, he said some really ugly things. And he caused some real bad pain between us. And he actually, in in the same town that we were in, went to another church and became the youth pastor at that church. Took a lot of kids with him, created a lot of ugliness, and it 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 was a very difficult situation. And for some reason, th- this youth ministry kept hitting walls, hitting walls and hitting walls. And his pastor looked at him and said, hey, is there something in you or something that has happened that you need to take care of? And he knew exactly what it was. And one day I was sitting at home. I don't remember what I was doing, but I heard a knock at the door. And I opened the door, and there he is. And my heart first, like, went, you know, I, I wanted to throw up my guard and put my fists up in the air, but what I saw in his hands was completely different than what I expected. Some grape juice and some crackers. So that he and I could have communion together. You see, his pastor told him, If you don't fix this, then you don't belong here. If you don't make this right, you hurt that pastor. You hurt that ministry. You need to go make it right. And so he came to my uh, my house, and that day we sat down at our kitchen table, and we had communion together. And he asked for forgiveness. And I love seeing him on, on Facebook now and seeing him on Instagram and seeing his face and his family and all those kinds of things. I celebrate him. Because we restored, we reconciled the relationship. Super powerful, super meaningful. Did we become best friends? No. Did we hang out all the time from that point on? No. Not because I didn't like him or because we just had different lives, but it didn't mean that we have to just connect and stay together and hold hands all all day long. Be weird and creepy. But it did mean that we were healthy. It did mean that we were whole. It did bring us together so that I didn't have to dodge him in a grocery aisle and he didn't have to dodge me. 
So what's the plan? How do we do this? Uh, Jesus did a great job in, in, in the, in the uh, Matthew chapter 5 where we find what is called the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, he tells us how to deal with our emotions. He tells us how to deal with the stuff that we deal with when we're going through this reconciliation or this hurt that we experience. And so in Matthew 5, chapter 5, verse 21, it says this, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, and there will be three of these but I tell you's this morning. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, which means you empty-headed idiot, that's, that's what it means, literally, is answerable to the court. In other words, you're going to be judged for saying those kinds of things or thinking those kinds of things. How many of us have kind of said those things in our heads? I mean, you don't have to raise your hands. You say, Raka is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, you fool, you're, you're an evil, like it's, it's saying the nastiest things about somebody. You fool is in danger of the fire of hell. This level of anger is, is, is a sin. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift in front of the altar first. Go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. So anger impacts our worship. Because this gift, this offering is an expression of worship. If you're in, in church and you're singing, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice, and I hate my brother. Those two things don't go together. They don't connect. It's not characteristic. There's no way that you can genuinely love God and hate your brother, the Bible says. There's no way you can do that. And so if we're having an expression of faith in, him, in God, but we're expressing it negatively, it's not working. And the whole goal is to get ourselves in alignment with our relationship with God should equal our relationship with others. And so when you're at the altar, when you're singing this worship, and you're in your head thinking, oh, I don't want to see that brother, or hey, I don't like that brother across the row over there, or hey, you know, whatever the case may be, it's time to get it right. The Bible says, get, get going now. Leave your gift at the altar. Leave your worship experience and go get it right. Go reconcile. We tend to avoid. Low gear thinking says, I'm going to avoid people. I'm going to allow the offense to simmer in my heart. And I'm going to uh, practice confrontation speeches like Raka and you fool <clears throat> while, while I'm worshiping. It doesn't work. And so what is this passage simply saying? It's simply saying, get up and do something redemptive. Do you have a plan for when you get angry, when, you frustrate, when you're frustrated, when a, a relationship is broken? And the first thing I think we need to understand is measure our anger. Use it as a barometer. If you're practicing a bunch of speeches, first you need to spend time in, in the presence of the Lord. Just to let him convict you of that, that anger, whatever that that, that uh, those speeches are, are create how for whatever reason you're being created, th those thoughts are being created, uh, we need to get a, become aware of them. Confront yourself before you confront others. Confront yourself before you confront others. Make sure that you are right with God 
first, make sure you deal with the, speck, the, the plank in your own eye before you go and deal with specks in everybody else's eyes. That's scripture as well. Approach with the intent of reconciliation, not condemnation. Don't go into a relationship that's broken with the intent of breaking it even more. Go in with the idea, I want this to come together. I want us to, to be able to see each other. I want us to not avoid each other in the grocery aisle. I want us to have fun, maybe fun together someday. Some of the biggest, some of the, uh, the, the closest friends I've had are the ones I've had the worst fights with. And we've reconciled, we put them back together and we, we realize that we're all under the, the, the covering of God's grace and love. And if we don't put it together and we don't spend time together, we'll never enjoy each other. The goal is to, is to heal the relationship, not hurt it. And hurting it is not doing anything with it. Even if you're just trying to let it simmer, it's not, it's not helping you. And you're just growing in those, uh, those emotions. Matthew 5, 38 through 42 says, You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, Turn to them the other cheek also. Now there's some people in this room that might disagree with that kind of perspective. But Jesus exampled that, didn't he? He got beat to a pulp. He could have called 10,000 angels. He loved his enemies. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them too. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. All of these things are the nature and character of Jesus. All of these things are like what Jesus would do. He would go that extra mile with someone. Say, hey, can you, can you go one mile with me? And they end up wanting, needing to go two. Then you go that too. We go the extra mile. You see, this is the unusual part of being above average. If we're going to be above average, we can't do what the world does. We can't do what the world does and be like the world and, and pretend that we have Jesus in our hearts. We don't if we're, if we're not expressing his likeness or love to the world. Go the extra mile. Turn the other cheek. Give your shirt off your back if you're taken to court. Give to those who ask. Of course, with wisdom, all those kinds of things. And then he finishes in this little passage. He says in Matthew five forty three. he says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That sounds pretty reasonable. But then he says this, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. In other words, the expression of a child of God is to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. If you're a child of the King, then those who hurt you, those who've damaged you, you're praying for. You're looking for an opportunity to love them. This is hard. This is hard preaching. He says, He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And this is a pretty uh, challenging phrase right there. The, the word perfect actually means mature or whole. Be mature about it. You see, 
The difference between the world is that they hate their enemies. And they'll do everything to express that hatred. It's becoming more and more prevalent in our world today. It's becoming more and more prevalent in our world to show anger and frustration and take it out on whoever's in front of us. That's what's becoming more popular. But the reality is, is we're going to be like the church, the, the Jesus that we serve, then we have to love those who don't love us. That's the expression of Jesus. That's the likeness of Christ. And it's hard. I get it. I'm, I'm a competitive guy. I don't like when people offend me. I don't like people when get up in my grill and, and create all kinds of anxiety for me. I don't like that. And I'd much rather just punch them in the face than love them. I'm being honest. I'm a human being. But at the same time, I'm a Jesus follower. And that responsibility says that I need to love my enemies. I need to pray for those who persecute me. And I need to, to give them that expression of love rather than uh, be just like the world. What witness is it if I just punch the guy in the face? What witness is it if I treat them like the world treats everybody else? This, this goes as far as saying even the tax collectors, which is the worst of the worst person in the world. Now, I'm not talking about modern-day tax collectors. If you're here and you're a tax collector, God bless you. We love you. <laughs> if you work for the IRS, you're a child of the king, of Jesus. There's no American king. You see, what we're trying to create, what this whole message is about, is creating a culture that, of love. It, it's different than the world. What attracts people to Jesus is not treating everybody like the world treats them. It's treating people differently. And I understand it's difficult. I understand it's hard. I understand it's complicated. I understand that there are times and circumstances if you're in an abuse situation, you don't need to go back into that situation. But you also can't let it eat you up. There's a point where there's got to be some forgiveness. There's got to be this expression of I will, I, honestly, I will forgive them. I won't, trust has to be rebuilt. I will not walk into it and let trust not be rebuilt. It, it, trust High trust, high freedom. Low trust, low freedom. And so until that trust is rebuilt, there's low freedom. But in the context of forgiveness, it, 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 it means I won't hold your sin against you anymore. There are people in this room that are broken. And I understand your brokenness. I, I feel for you. I hurt for you. The whole reason I... I, I'm preaching this series because I feel like the Lord is saying, I want Journey Church to live to life to the full, to the abundant life, to the life that's far above what we could ever ask, think, or imagine. I want Journey Church to live in a, in a context that means that we, are, we look different. Why? Because we live different. We live it to the full. We don't live it to the average. We don't live it to the below average. We live it to the, the highest level. And the Bible is calling us to extend our lives into the lives of those that even hurt us. We love those who have hurt us. We pray for those who have persecuted us. We reach out and we become mature and whole and perfect. And some, some uh, translations even see be holy as God is holy. You see, the mature person, the mature person in Jesus 
loves their enemies. Praise for, praise for those who persecute them. Reconciles the relationships. And when we do that, the world sees something very different. We become the messengers of reconciliation. We're able to tell people not only that we love them, but that Jesus loves them regardless of their sin and that he made a way to make that sin right and forgive it and to wash it away and to bring peace into the relationship. If you're here today and you don't have peace in your relationship, I want to encourage you, begin praying. Praying that God will give you the strength to be a reconciler. Pray that God will give you the strength to do what he did and sacrifice something, whatever that is of yours. It was his son. So we don't have to make that sacrifice. We're not trying to save someone. We're just trying to reconcile a relationship. But it may cost you something. It may cost you the, the, the pride that you're, that's holding you back from talking to them. It may cost a, a lunch, a dinner, whatever it is that might open the door to reconciling, fixing that relationship. It may cost you just a few crackers and a little bit of juice and saying, let's commune before the Lord together. Will you forgive me for hurting you? Or I forgive you for hurting me. Whatever it may be, I believe that God wants to set you free today from that hurt. I believe that God wants to reconcile a relationship in your life or a hurt or a pain that you've experienced. I can't tell you how to go about it, I can tell you that the Bible gives us hints and, and go the extra mile, whatever it takes to, to uh, turn the other cheek, whatever the case may be, God wants to set you free today and reconcile relationships in your life. Lord, I thank you so much for the peace that you want to bring into our lives. You came from heaven to die on a cross so that we could have salvation so that we could have a right relationship with you so that our relationship could be reconciled and I thank you for that and I pray that you help us to be reconcilers messenger messengers of reconciliation about you and how we practice it with each other Lord I pray your blessing on every heart in this room I pray God for that broken heart I pray for that broken spirit I pray for that anger, that frustration, those practice speeches. I pray, God, that they would all go away. That fear when we enter into the same building that uh, someone else might be in. Lord, I pray that that all go away as we reconcile relationships, as we release people from the offenses that they've caused us, as we forgive them and won't hold it against them anymore, and as we begin to rebuild trust in those relationships. May they become beautiful examples of what you can do in us. I pray, Father, for your grace. I pray for your power. I pray for courage in each life in this room right now in Jesus' name. Right now in Jesus' name. God's working in somebody specifically, specifically, Right now, this very moment, he's telling you who you need to talk to, who you need to reach out to. And I want to just encourage you to prayerfully consider that. Maybe talk with somebody else. Let them know. Get some wisdom. And do it with grace. Do it with the desire to bring that relationship together.
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. There's a marriage that's broken and you know how that you need to forgive. You need to bring it, reconcile that marriage. I pray that God does that right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, have your way today in us. And I thank you for that. Maybe you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, but you want one. You realize that he's done everything to reconcile a relationship with you. And today's that day. Today's that day where you want to take a step and say, Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. If that's you, I just want you to just pray this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Thank you for reconciling our relationship. Thank you for initiating to show your love by sending Jesus to die on a cross. And I accept that forgiveness today. And I believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. And as a result, I have the promise of eternal life because I'm reconciled. I'm right with God. And I accept my salvation today. And I confess you as Lord of my life. And I will follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to join your journey. And I hope the message made a big difference in your life. And if it did, we just encourage you to go to journeychurchventura.com and let us know. Also, be free to share this message with your friends and family. We just love to impact as many people as we can. Once again, thank you for joining us at Journey Church Ventura.